You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Good morning. It is awesome to be here. Like Todd said, um, uh, Providence has been a massive uh, help to uh, the small fledgling of young adults that is right now New City Church. And um, I get the privilege of leading a team that um, uh, many of whom have moved from wherever hometown they are, from Galveston, from Lubbock, from Little Rock, Arkansas, from Dallas, from Waco, um, to come to Austin to get jobs in this city, to go to school in this city, um, all for the purpose of spreading the gospel and making disciples um, here in, in what we like to call our city. But I know that many of you, you might have been in Austin for a long time. I've been here for five months. It's your city, okay? I, I hope to be welcomed. I hope to be um, on Austinite at some point. We are all in on Austin FC, me and my family. Um, we have gone to games. Brad Stuver is the man. He's the goalkeeper. If you're an Austin FC fan, we're just massive. Um, we have gone all in on UT sports, and that's a big deal. I am originally from Arkansas, and Arkansans hate the Texas Longhorns. And I went to school at Baylor University, who also hate the Texas Longhorns. And my team um, has a collection of Texas Tech grads, Baylor University grads, University of Arkansas grads, and the like. Very few of them are actually from UT. And so we have all sacrificed our maybe number two allegiances, number one being Jesus and number two being our school. And we have, we have sacrificed those allegiances for the sake of the gospel. So we are all in on UT. All right, we are all in. If you'll, like, if you'll have us, if you'll accept us, um, we have repented. And so the, uh, we, uh, it, is, it is awesome to be here. Um, Providence has been a massive help, like I said, Will and Todd and your staff. And I, I just want you to know, I, I, uh, it, can be, it can be hard to remember. We can often take our leaders for granted in church. And, um, and I just want you to know, as someone who is a guest among you, as an outsider looking in, um, you have here a good church. You have a good church and you have really, really good leadership. Leadership that is not just obedient and skillful in the call of leading you, but also are leaders among other churches, leaders among other leaders, including myself. I am deeply grateful for your church. And I, I'm glad uh, that we get to spend t this morning together. Um, when, when you plant a church, uh, you, you start to kind of think about the basic questions um, like the fundamentals and stuff. Like we're, we're getting to basically start from scratch. Not basically, we are starting from scratch. We get to start from the ground um, up. And so you, you kind of spend some time if you, if you got the chance to, to reflect and to think, okay, well, like what are the basic foundational things? We don't wanna do anything just because we've always done it. We don't wanna say anything just because it's always been said. You know, all the stuff, not, not just because of that. We want to, to really look and see, okay, like what is the church? 
church? What is, um, does it mean to, to follow Jesus? What are the things that we want to be about? What are the fundamental questions that we want to look at? And I've really been spending the past like two years um, doing that and really exploring to make sure before we started with New City Church that we were headed in a direction that we wanted to go. And of course, we're not perfect. We don't know exactly the direction uh, that we're going. We're gonna see what the Lord does. Um, but we really wanted to ask fundamental questions and um, we've been doing that. And a little, a little uh, story uh, about that little illustration. Um, uh, I heard a story one time from a friend uh, back in Arkansas um, who was a part of an old, old, old Presbyterian church um, in, in the small, small town, uh, Backwoods, Arkansas. And um, he had been there for 20 years, but he was one of the, the younger people in the church. And uh, uh, he had noticed at one point, um, just it kind of occurred to him that every time they stood up and said the Apostles' Creed, much like we just did uh, today, everyone in the congregation would turn to the left. And he, and he didn't know why. Um, it's just kind of something that they had always done. Everyone in the church had just always done it. They always, when they would read the Apostles' Creed, they would stand up, they would turn to the left, and then they would recite it together in unison. And he began to ask questions. He began to think, okay, well, uh, why do we turn to the left? Is there something in scripture about turning to the left when we say sacred things? Or is there like, like what? Is there some sort of Presbyterian tradition? Some what? Why do we turn to the left? And um, he couldn't find an answer. He asked people over and over, asked the pastor, asked the staff. They didn't know either. Just when they got here, people did it and they just didn't want to ruffle feathers. So we just kept, we kept turning to the left. And finally, he found this old, old, old man who had been there since way, way, way back in the day, been there since almost maybe when the church had begun. And, and he asked, hey, do you, do you know why we turn to the left when we recite the Apostles' Creed? And he said, yeah, way back about 40 years ago, the apostles, the word to the apostles' creed were written on the wall to the left. And so we would stand up and we would read it together. And now we all just know it and we still turn to the left. And, and, and for us, we wanna, we wanna come back and I wanna invite you this morning, because many of you, I imagine, you may be new to Christianity or you maybe have been following Jesus for a, a while now. And I think it's very important for all of us to go through what we are going through at New City Church to really ask good questions of the fundamentals. And so I'm gonna do something here. I don't know if you are used to this. I don't know if you guys ever do this here um, and, and I hope it's okay, but I want you to find two or three people around you. We do this a lot because we've got like 30 people, right? And so uh, we, we do this a lot, but we try and find two or three people around you. Make sure everyone is included. If you see someone who's not in a group, make sure that they get into the group. And I want you to ask and answer the question in about one or two minutes, what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay, what does it mean to be a Christian? Find two or three people, ask and answer that question together. Ready, set, go. All right, 
I hate to interrupt you. I hate to interrupt your conversations. Hopefully you got to ask that question and somebody, at least one person in your group got to answer the question of what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and here's the thing, there are a lot of answers depending on who you're talking to, right? And, and, and you may have had a few answers. If, if your answers were short enough, you may have had a few answers just in your group, or if I would have let you gone longer, maybe if you would have gotten to talk to several other people in the room, you would have gotten some different answers, maybe some different ways of saying the same thing, but maybe even just completely different answers. In our world, there are a ton of answers to this question. Christian, maybe most basically in our culture, in our day and age, is a religious designation something that you check a box on a survey to say that I am uh, a Christian. Or, or maybe if you watch the news, if you like the only education you had on what Christians are is from um, media, then it would be a voting block, right? It would be a political designation. Or, or maybe it's a set of opinions. Maybe it's something that you think. It's, it's some intellectual ideas that you ascend to. Or maybe it's a worldview. Maybe it's the way that you, that you view things and stuff. The more theologically nerdy among us might have said something like, it is someone who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, received the effectual call of God, understands the doctrine of justification by faith, and has been made new, and now is a part of the global body that is the Church International. Or something like that. Nerds. And many of these are, are right in some way. Many of these are, are true in some way. Many of them are very wrong, but, but here's what I wanna do this morning. I want to, to answer the question in, in possibly the most simple way that we can by looking at Jesus's first invitation to follow him. By looking at Jesus's first instance of inviting anyone to follow him, to become a Christian. Jesus' first invitation to his disciples, which we read together just a minute ago. Because here's the thing, to be a Christian, most fundamentally, according to the New Testament, is to be a disciple. It's to be a disciple. And a disciple is not a, really a word that we use in today's language, in today's American English, except for when we are talking about religion. Um, and so it's important to kind of notice when we, when we say disciple, or when, we, when the New Testament uses the word, the Greek word, mathetes, a meaning disciple, what, what it, what it kind of means is a student or an apprentice. You know, you think of like way back in the day, a blacksmith or somebody who worked with their hands had a, an artisan type craft would bring on students who would come and they would learn the craft from their master, from their teacher. They were an apprentice. This is what it means to be a disciple. And, and in the context, the historical context of the story that we just read of Jesus inviting some, some young Jewish teenage young men um, to come and follow him, it's important for us to understand kind of where they are in their, their history and their culture around a, a teacher coming and saying, follow me, um, a rabbi coming and calling some uh, disciples, because you, you may have noticed in the story that the original people called to follow Jesus were fishermen. And that, that's important for us because what that means is, is that they are not educated. It means that they are not the elite. They are not the ones who made it in religious school. And in the first century, that's the only kind of school that you had in a Jewish community. 
You were raised to, to, to learn and to memorize the Torah or the law in the Old Testament, the, what Jesus would call the writings and the prophets. Like you, you, um, you were raised to learn these things and you basically had three levels. And I, I could go through all the levels and, and we don't have time, but you'd have three levels. And, and basically, if you graduated one level, much like our education system, you moved on to the next level. And if you graduated that level, you moved on to the next level. And the people who graduated from the top level of their education, would become something like a, a rabbi or a scribe or a Pharisee or a teacher. These were people who had the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible memorized. But these young men are fishermen. They are not the elite. They are likely illiterate. They are likely people who have no sway, no power, no influence in society. They are just fishermen. And so can you imagine, can you imagine the feeling inside and the look on their faces for these young, maybe some, maybe older teenage, maybe early 20, these young boys who are at their job and a teacher, a rabbi, comes to them and says, I want you to follow me. Imagine that moment. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But what is Jesus saying when he says, follow me? What, what does that mean, right? Does he mean like literally come and follow him or does he mean like religiously, like follow me? It, kind of a little bit of all of the above, most uh, literally translated the Greek words, it's actually a phrase um, that he uses, or I'm sorry, it's one word that we translate into a phrase um, that Jesus uses um, means to come after me. It's, it's the same thing that you would say to somebody if you wanted to them to come with you. So, so very literally, what Jesus is inviting them to do is to come with them. He's saying, look, you're in a boat, you are fishing, you're mending your nets, you're doing whatever, and I want you to come with me. I'm headed in a direction I would like for you to come with with me. He's inviting them to be with him. And of course, Jesus is God made man. And this is exactly what God is all about for his people to be with him. He created people in the garden before the world was broken by sin to be with him. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with the living creator, God. And in the end of the story, if you've read the back of the book all the way in Revelation 22, when the new heaven and the new earth come and make this world world, our true and better home again, the, 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 the defining factor, the defining truth that makes the world new is the fact that God is with his people again and his people are with God again. And so here we have the, the son of God. We have God made man, God with us, Emmanuel, coming to these young teenage fishermen and saying, I want to be with you. I wanna invite you to come with me. And students would take this seriously when a rabbi called and asked them to come with them. They would take this very seriously. You may have heard before that there was this famous phrase that would, had developed among um, the rabbinic tradition um, in first century Ju Judaism because there were no paved roads. And so what they would say to a student is they would kind of put this blessing on them, this challenge on them. And they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning, may you be so close to your rabbi as you are walking that 
that the dust that he is kicking off of his sandals behind him is getting caked all over the front of you. It'd be a badge of honor to be, have this kind of like symbol of following your teacher so closely. The first thing, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus? The first thing it means, the first thing to being a disciple of Jesus is being with Jesus. But here's the thing, how, right? Me and my uh, four-year-old son are um, working through the, uh, I guess you'd call it a metaphysical or philosophical um, problem of that Jesus is an embodied human being and he's also everywhere, right? This is my four-year-old, it's just not computing with him. And he knows the answer. You know, we say, well, how is Jesus everywhere? And he's like, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Said, well, Jesus is in heaven, right? He's, he's like at the right hand of the father. Jesus is a human being. He has a body. He can only be there at once, right? Like I have a body. I can't be in two places at once. So Jesus is there, but he's also here. We talk about Jesus being with us. We talk about Jesus being in the room. And so how is he with here? How is he in here? And, and my son by now knows by his spirit, Right? Like, like Jesus is, is present with us. If Jesus is God with us, his Holy Spirit is God in us. And so the Bible, the New Testament authors have picked up on this, particularly Paul, and they have said that what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to go with Jesus, to come with Jesus for us who, who aren't physically with Jesus, but can be present with him by his spirit is to keep in step with Jesus. The Spirit. This is a phrase that Paul uses in Galatians 5, to keep in step with the Spirit and therefore bear fruit. And we'll talk about bearing fruit in just a second. We cannot physically walk with Jesus, but we have an advantage. Jesus is God with us, but the Holy Spirit is God in us. We get to being with Jesus for us means that we get to lean into what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through us. And we do that by the spiritual disciplines, by practices. Many of you may be familiar with things like prayer and reading your Bible and silence and solitude and Sabbath and community, eating together, drinking together. Like we, we, there's several historical, there's a, there's a list, right? There's some list somewhere that there's this historical list of practices, of, of disciplines, of things that we can involve ourselves in, things that we can revolve our life around, things that we can shape our weeks around that orient us towards Jesus. And here's the thing, these are not ends in and of themselves themselves. We, we are not followers of Jesus so that we can read our Bible. We are not followers of Jesus so that we can pray. We are not followers of Jesus so that we can attend church services. That'd be a pretty lame invitation. But we read our Bible and we pray and we attend church gatherings and we gather together and we, we experience silence and solitude. We rest on the Sabbath because those things orient us towards the presence of Jesus. They allow us to be with Jesus. They allow us to keep in step with his spirit. And so we get to be with Jesus. We get to answer, we get to receive that invitation to come with Jesus. But here's the thing, Jesus is also not trying to make a bunch of disciples who just attend church and sit around studying the Bible and praying together. 
That's a really good thing, but that's not the kind of people that Jesus is trying to form. Jesus is headed into a direction, in a direction, remember? Like Jesus is, is on the move. He's doing something and he's inviting his people to come with him. And so we go with him. More on that later. But the second thing that it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we are transformed by him. Notice what he says to those first disciples that he says, come with me, come after me, come um, follow me and I will make you into something. I will form you into something. Many of you might have a translation that says something like, I will make you fish for men, like I will make you do something. And that's fine, I understand, but the, the Greek text actually, um, it's the idea that not I'm gonna make you do something, but I'm gonna make you into a fisher of men. I'm going to make you into something that you are not currently. Um, and, and so the invitation that Jesus has for his followers is to be formed by him. Jesus's entire goal is to form a people for himself. And the result of being with Jesus is being formed by him. Jesus says he will make them into something. And here's the, here's the fact, here's the, here's the deal. Everybody in this room, I think would agree, Christian or not, that you are not who you want to be. Right, like if you were like me, if you really look inside, deep, deep into the, the depths of, of who you are, your soul, what motivates you, the thoughts that you have, what drives you, you are not who you want to be. And I would argue, I would, I would submit to you that that is because you are not actually who you ought to be. Because you are not who you were created to be. The Bible calls this reality sin, that we are broken by our selfishness. We are broken by our idolatry, our propensity to put things in place of God that do not belong there. We, we have been utterly broken and destroyed, though created good. We are completely in need of someone to make us into who we were originally created to be, and we cannot do that on our own. Christianity is not simply about subscribing to a set of beliefs and then going to church for the rest of your life. It's about becoming someone new. That's the invitation that Jesus has for you. You follow me and I will make you into the person you were meant to be. I will make you into the person that you always wanted to be. Yeah, some of the stuff that you might want to be, that's not gonna be included, but deep down in the true sense of who you are, I'm going to make you into who you were meant to be. I'm not talking about career or success. I'm not talking about positional um, things. I'm not saying he's gonna take you places that you aren't currently. He might, and he might not. But what I'm talking about is character. I'm talking about who you really are. Some of you look at who you really are right now and you are ashamed. Some of you, you have an anger problem. You can't stop yelling at your wife and your kids. For some of you, you're, you're lustful. You've been giving into temptation for so long that now it feels impossible to look at a woman without objectifying her or the other way around. You're manipulative. You say whatever others want to hear to get them to like you and to do what you want them to do. 
The list can go on and on and on. And I include my own sin in that list. We are desperately in need of change. And before we can ever come to Jesus, before we can ever accept the invitation to follow him, we, we, we all, you, you were probably at this moment, those of you who are following Jesus, you remember this moment where you came to a place where you desperately not just needed that change, but you desperately wanted that change. You desperately, you, desperately, you were so aware of your need for Jesus to transform you and you put your faith in him because he promised that he would and that he is able to. And I promise he is and he is able to. Jesus wants you to be with him and he wants to transform you. And then the last thing that you'll notice in the story is that Jesus tells this group of fishermen that he'll make them into fishers of men, which by the way, may be the greatest pun in history. And I don't think Jesus gets enough credit for that. He calls this group of young fishermen to be fishers of men. And you'll notice that they drop their nets. Jesus invites them to follow him so that he can make them into people who can join him in his mission in the world. I mentioned earlier that Jesus is not just trying to form a people who gather in church services and read their Bible every day. Those are really good things. I'm not knocking that. I do that, we do that. But, but we, Jesus is trying to form a people that, to participate in what he is doing in the world. Jesus is on a mission. God is on a mission. He is on a mission to renew all things, to make all things, to reconcile all things back to himself. And so when Jesus invites those disciples and you and I to follow him, he is inviting us to be transformed into the kind of people who can join him on that mission. And this is the most amazing part about it to me because, because the context in, in Matthew's gospel here, um, Jesus has just said, or Matthew has given right before the passage that we read, kind of a summary statement of what Jesus went around saying, the central message of Jesus. And, and you've heard it before. I, I, you probably have heard it before. It's repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is saying, turn around, turn from your old ways, turn from your sin, turn from the bad news of the world because the kingdom of heaven, the way the world was supposed to be, the way that the world is being recreated to be is here in me. I have brought it in my life, in my death, in my resurrection. I have brought it. And so you can turn around, repent and come with me for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is near. And then he calls these young men and they drop their nets and they begin to follow him. And the very next thing that Matthew says about what Jesus went around doing is that he went through all of Galilee teaching and proclaiming or preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all the afflictions of the people. And if I could rephrase that, what he's doing is he's going around preaching the gospel and demonstrating the gospel. He's preaching the kingdom and bringing the kingdom by healing and casting out demons and raising the dead. It's an incredible thing. And actually, literally, it's a section heading for Matthew because the next three chapters, five, six, and seven, are Jesus preaching and teaching the kingdom. This is a famous sermon that we know as Sermon on the Mount. And then the next two chapters, eight and nine, are a bunch of stories of Jesus healing the afflictions of the people. And so Matthew says, Jesus went around teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, three chapters of that, and then two chapters of him healing the afflictions of the people, casting out demons, raising the dead, healing the sick. And then Matthew repeats it. 
Matthew 9, the, one of the last verses, he repeats verbatim the, the summary statement at the beginning. And Jesus went through all of Galilee, all the cities and the villages, proclaiming in their synagogues, or teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every affliction of the people. He repeats it. Here's the cool part. The very next paragraph in chapter 10, Jesus is on this hill with his disciples and they're looking over the city or they're looking over these harvest fields and Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for more laborers. It's missionary talk, right? He's saying, I'm about to send you. And then he sends them to all the cities and the towns and the villages that he's planning on going later. And he tells them, what does he tell them to do? To proclaim the kingdom, to say the kingdom of God is at hand and to heal all the afflictions of the people. You see, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Jesus arrives on the scene bringing the gospel, bringing the kingdom and inviting people in to watch him do so, to listen to him do so. And then a few chapters later, Matthew shows us that the people that he has invited in, he's now sending out to go and do what he is doing. To, to watch and to learn and then to go and to do likewise. Jesus' invitation to us is to be with him and to be transformed by him and then to, be, to join him in his mission in the world. It's an amazing thing. Jesus not only promises to make you into who you were created to be, he promises to make all things new and he is making all things new and he invites you and I to join in on that. And listen to the kind of people, like notice the kind of people he's inviting in. Not the elites, not the well-educated, not the powerful. For those who would have every reason to think that they are unqualified. Can you relate to that? For those who have every reason to think that they are unqualified, Jesus looks at them and he invites them in to start a movement of God that would transform the world. You see, we've, we've created this sort of domesticated Christianity where you can call yourself a follower of Jesus and just read your Bible and pray and go to church. And again, those are good things. I do them every day. I work at a church. I go to church every day, kind of. But that's not the invitation that Jesus has given us. That's not why a group of 20-year-olds 20 moved from all over the country to Austin, Texas to join in on a move of God that hopefully at some point will have some small but significant part of transforming our city. That's why we call ourselves New City. Not because we want to start a church. We say all the time, we don't exist for New City. We exist to make City new. We don't, we're not just trying to start a church. We're trying to make disciples, to do justice, to push back darkness, to participate in the transformation of Austin and the ends of the earth. And we believe that through that, Jesus is going to form a people, that a church is going to be planted around us. Because Jesus has invited us to participate in his mission. Just about out of time, but I wanna tell just a few stories. Um, and I promise I won't be super long, but you guys financially support us. And so I want to uh, leave you with some things that God is already doing. We, we are very conscious at New City Church. We don't want to invite 
um, people who are already plugged into a church. We're not here to reach other Christians. We are here to reach the lost. That's why we plant churches. So sorry, none of you are invited. Um, and, uh, uh, and, the, and the thing is, is we, we're, we're, getting kind of, we're getting kind of there. Um, we had we've, missional communities, Todd mentioned those, and um, we had one guy who's very new to Austin invite one of his friends from work to his MC. And these MCs are dinner parties. They, they, they meet and they have dinner and somebody shares the gospel and it's meant to be a place where um, unbelievers can be felt welcome and also to hear the gospel and to, they would come back and, and contribute to the meal and that kind of a thing, a very hospitable environment. And um, this guy, this guy who our, our, our teammate invited, um, he came with them and he was at dinner and, and stuff. Somebody stood up, shared the gospel, all that kind of stuff. A very normal dinner party um, for New City Church. And then uh, uh, as they were going home, uh, this guy who is an unbeliever who knew that he was coming to a church dinner party. We really try not to bait and switch anybody. Um, uh, but uh, he, he, on the way home, apparently said to the friend who invited him, man, when that guy stood up in the middle of dinner and started talking about Jesus, I thought you invited me to a Bible study and I was gonna be so mad. We're reaching the, we're reaching the people we came to. I got approached uh, not long ago by a guy who had just become a follower of Jesus three weeks ago. And he spends every weekend he can out on Lake Austin wakeboarding. And he has a, friend, a group of friends who do this with him, apparently none of which are believers. And he has invited me, I've just gotten to know this guy, he's invited me to come and wakeboard, which I grew up on a lake in Arkansas, but I have wakeboarded like once and it would be, it would be embarrassing. But I'm gonna go and he has said, I want to start a Bible study for this wakeboard community. Like we could go and meet early in the morning, read our Bibles and then head out and wakeboard. And I'm like, man, that's great. I'm in, but you're going to have to do all the wakeboarding. Maybe I can do the Bible study, but I'm going to make them, I'm going to convince them that Jesus is not Lord by my wakeboarding and stuff. But he is, uh, I'm getting to, I might be starting a wakeboarding missional community. I don't know. We have people joining intramural city leagues joining softball teams and dodgeball teams and, and stuff where the, the trophies are giant cans of margarita mix. And so it's very different for Bible Belt people. We, we have people who are playing basketball at UT's gym every Friday with students getting to know them. We have people who frequent certain coffee shops just to get to know the staff, just to get to know the people who are regulars there so that we might build relationships, that we might be of help to them. We meet at dinner parties throughout the neighborhoods and the goal is to meet in all kinds of different neighborhoods so that our influence over Austin would be, yes, wide, but also deep, that we wouldn't have to drive 30 minutes to go meet with a group of Christians, but that you would have somebody meeting for dinner, having people over at your house right where you live. We're just getting started at New City Church and I have no idea what's going to happen. And we are extremely grateful for your partnership in it. We are extremely grateful for what you are doing. And if anything, since you guys have been so much help to us, if we could be of help to you, let us encourage you but the basics of what it means to follow Jesus, that he has invited you, 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 and all your mess and all your sin and all your brokenness, he's invited you to be with him and to be transformed by him, to be made into who he created you to be and to follow him in what he is doing in the world, to participate 
in his mission to be a part of making all things new. And we are super, super excited and grateful to be able to help make the city new with you guys. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.